Our Father, we thank you that you are a redeeming God. That you so love the world that you sent your one and only Son into this world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you, Father, that you did not abandon us to our sins even though that is what we deserved, but instead that you did through Jesus, offer a way for full redemption. I pray that each one of us will turn our lives, our hearts, everything we have over to you by faith and through surrender, knowing that you alone can provide for us true and eternal life. We thank you, Father, not, that not only are you a redeeming God, but you're a communicating God who wants to show us how you've designed us to live and who you are. And we thank you, Lord, for scripture that you've given us. And I pray that now as you open your word, that you will teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us in all the ways that we need so that we will be thoroughly equipped for everything that you're calling us to and so that we can enjoy healthy relationships with those around us that honor you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week we began a series that's called Healthy Relationships. And we talked last week about how if we want healthy relationships, we must start with the heart. Because the things that are going on inside of us in terms of our thoughts and emotions, in terms of our fears and our hopes, those things deeply shape the way that we relate to others in terms of our words and our actions. And so if we want healthy relationships, we must start with the heart. Now today we're going to continue to lay that foundation for what it takes to have healthy relationships and to do so, we're going to look at two passages, one main one and one other one. So I invite you to turn in the Bible to Matthew 22, as well as Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in Matthew 22, but we'll turn to Luke 10 later. So you can put a bookmark over in Luke 10. If you did not bring a Bible with you but would like to follow along, you can grab one from the pew in front of you, and the page numbers are on the screen. So we'll start in Matthew 22, and then a few moments after that, we'll turn to Luke chapter 10. Now as we get started, I want to point to a truth about healthy relationships. And that truth is that love is crucial for healthy relationships. That love is crucial for healthy relationships. Now this week as I was processing this truth, I began to hesitate a little bit wondering, is this actually true in all relationships? Now, are all relationships that are healthy, are they all characterized by love in some way or another? And the reason I hesitated is because I realized that I use that term love in a fairly limited way, at least in my relationships. I will tell people like my wife and my kids and my parents that I love them. I'm not one of those people who, when I write a letter to someone or a card, that I'm typically signing at Love Brandon, unless they're close family members like that. And so I hesitate a little bit, wondering, is it actually true that love is crucial for healthy relationships across the board? I began to think, for instance, about my coworkers. So I like my coworkers a lot, but I realized, except for my wife Shelley, who is now one of my coworkers here on staff, but except for her, I've never told a coworker that I love them. In fact, if I said that, it could almost be kind of awkward because it's not something we typically say. But as I thought about it, if love is actually crucial for healthy relationships, and if I want to have a healthy relationship with my coworkers, then it's important that love is a key part of my relationship with 
my coworkers. And if that's true, that love is crucial for relationships, that principle then applies to other relationships too. Whether it's at school with our, our teachers or classmates, whether it's in our neighborhood or in our friendship circles, or even here at church, love is crucial for healthy relationships. Now, as we talk about this idea, I think it's helpful that we have a clear definition of what love is, what type of love we are talking about. Because many times when people think of love, they think about it in romantic terms. Or they reserve love just for those who are very closest to them. But let me give you a definition of love just to help us to understand what we are talking about this morning. And here's the definition. It's that love is a commitment to another person's highest good. Love is a commitment to another person's highest good. I believe this is a deeper and broader definition of love than we typically think of. But love is a commitment to another person's highest good. And in fact, this idea of love has deep roots in Scripture. In the New Testament, for instance, it's written in Greek. The two main Greek words for love used in the New Testament are agape and and phileo. And those two words, or philia, those two words, agape and philia, are words that are not used typically in romantic contexts. That word is the Greek word eros, like erotic love. But the two main words for love in the New Testament, agape and philia, are words that talk about wanting someone else's good, being committed to their well-being, which aligns very well to this idea that love is a commitment to another person's highest good. And today we're going to be looking at a passage that illustrates how love is this commitment to someone else's highest good. But before that, let me give some background to that passage by looking in Matthew 22. So I invite you to follow along as I read Matthew 22, picking up in verse 35. It says, One of the Pharisees, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says here that there are two great commandments. Love God and love people. In saying this, Jesus is essentially saying these are God's main call for our lives. These are to be the highest priorities that we have. Love God and love people. Now, these two commandments are not equal in terms of importance. He says that loving God is the great and first commandment. Loving God is to be our highest priority. Yet, still noteworthy that Jesus also includes a second great commandment. Because he was only asked for one. It reminds me, for instance, if someone asks you, Hey, what is your favorite restaurant around here? And you respond not just by listing one restaurant, but by listing two. And by doing that you're implying that, you know what, this other one is very important as well. It may not be your very favorite, but it's right up there as well. Because you can't list just one. You have to list the second two because you feel like the other one's so good as well. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's asked for the greatest commandment. Instead of responding with just one, he responds by giving two. Love God and love people. He specifically said, Love your neighbor as yourself. I want to dig now into what it means to love your neighbor 
as yourself. So you can now, if you're following along in the Bible, turn over to Luke chapter 10. In Luke 10, Jesus was in a conversation with some people about these two great commandments of love God and love people. And a Jewish leader asked Jesus, okay, Jesus, if I'm to love my neighbor as myself, who is my neighbor? And by asking who is my neighbor, this, this man's basically asking, who am I expected to love? What are the boundaries of love? How, how, how am I supposed to love other people? Who am I expected to love here? And in response, Jesus tells a story known as a parable. So I invite you to follow along as I read Luke chapter 10, picking up in verse 30. Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, who is another Jewish leader, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now Jesus asked, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The Jewish leader said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So this story, it's a fictional account, a parable that proves spiritual points Jesus shared this story as a way to illustrate who we are called to love. And along the way, he also gives examples of how we are to love other people. And Jesus' response shows that when our heart is filled with love, we will naturally want other people to experience the highest good possible. When our heart is filled with love, we will naturally want other people around us to experience the highest good possible, no matter who they are. I want to point now to two aspects of the Samaritan's love that are helpful for us as we talk about healthy relationships. And the first thing is that love compels us to show care. That's one of the things we see here from the Samaritan. Love compels us to show care. We see here that there was a man who'd been beaten. He'd been robbed, he'd been left half dead on the side of the road. And you have two different responses to this man left half dead on the side of the road. First of all, you have these two Jewish leaders who come along who just ignore him. And then you have the Samaritan man who comes along and he shows compassion. He goes over there and helps the man, helps him try to recover some. So you see two responses to the same circumstance. Last week I asked the question of how do you have two people who experience the same circumstance but they have distinctly different responses. What, what, what causes the different responses? And the answer was, it all depends on what's going on in the heart. I would say it would be the same answer here on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Three people experience the same circumstances, yet they have two distinctly different reactions. And the question is, what led to those reactions? It was based on what's going on in their hearts. The Samaritan had his heart filled with love 
And that led him to show care in practical ways. The other two, we don't know exactly what was going on in their hearts. But evidently was not love first and foremost. And one of the ways that we know the Samaritan's heart was filled with love is that Jesus is telling the story as a way to illustrate what love looks like. But we also know it in verse 32. We get a glimpse into the heart of the Samaritan man when it says the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where that man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion is a heart word. It refers to what's going on inside of us. Remember, it's out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. It's out of the overflow of the heart that we act. Compassion is a heart word. It literally means a moving of the innards, that you feel it, something internally. You feel that compassion, something grab your gut or just grab a hold of you and you feel like you need to do something. That's rooted in what's happening inside. That's rooted in love. The Samaritan had love in his heart and it led him to wanting that man to experience the highest good possible, which included the potential of recovery from his injuries. So the Samaritan's love compelled him to show care. I would say that it is impossible to have healthy relationships with those around us if we do not show care to the people in those relationships. It's impossible. It's not possible to have healthy relationships if we are not showing care to those around us. Now, sometimes showing care to others comes through our words or our actions. Sometimes showing care just comes by listening well. I think especially in today's culture, people are struggling and people are so busy that one of the best ways we can show care to others, best ways we can show love, is simply by listening to them, asking questions, perhaps offering to pray for them. You know, sometimes our, our, our work to show care to others is reactive. We see a need, and so we respond to that. We react to that by showing care. That's what the Samaritan was doing when he saw a man on the side of the road who was injured badly. But other times, our show of care is proactive, where there's nothing specifically that, that, that ignites that, that desire to go show care except the goodness of our heart. We just think, you know, I want to proactively do something that shows that person that I care for them. I think, for instance, in this case of proactive showing of care of one of my friends. I've known him for a couple decades now. We don't live close geographically. Uh, We haven't for a couple decades. But this friend is very good at calling me up. You know, he'll be on a road trip or just driving somewhere. It'll be an evening or something. He'll just call me up out of the blue and say, Brandon, I just wanted to call, check in, see how you're doing, talk a little bit. I enjoy talking. There wasn't a specific reason he called. It wasn't like there was a catalyst. He wasn't responding or reacting to something usually. Just he's proactive, being intentional to show care. And that is such a key to building and maintaining a healthy relationship with him. I value deeply that he does that. It helps me just feel valued when he shows care in that proactive, intentional way. And that is such a key in healthy relationships that we show care, whether because of being reactive to something we notice or being proactive and intentional to show care. You know, sometimes I'm in a conversation with someone who just expresses they feel kind of lonely. They they feel like they don't have uh, many friends in their life. And one of the things that I see sometimes, not every time, but sometimes as I talk with these individuals, is it becomes evident that they have not actually done much, whether proactively or reactively, 
to show care to others. And this reminds me of, of an experience I had when I was young a number of different times where when I was young, I enjoyed checking the mail. I really did. Every day I wanted to be the one to check the mail, and I actually still enjoy that now. I was thinking about this even yesterday. I, I got excited yesterday to check the mail at our house and check the mail here at church. It's just kind of fun to see what's going to come in the mail. I enjoy that, and I did it when I was young. I would check the mail, and when I checked the mail, I'd be looking for something for myself. And most of the time, there wasn't anything for myself. And a few different times, I remember lamenting or complaining, how come nothing ever comes for me? Didn't keep me from checking it. I always wanted to see, but I wonder, how come there's nothing for me? And my dad, I remember several different times, would say, Brandon, have you said anything to anyone recently? I'd be like, no. And the implication was, if I want to receive stuff in the mail, receive letters, it's important for me to send letters. And in those times, I was proactive to send letters. Almost without fail, I would get letters in response. And that's how relationships work. That the care flows back and forth. But it takes intentional showing of care, whether it's reactive or proactive, that helps to build and maintain a healthy relationship. So that is one of the keys to healthy relationships, is demonstrating love by showing care. That's what the Samaritan was doing on that road. Now there's something else I want to point out as well about love. It's that love generates sacrificial generosity. It generates sacrificial generosity. We see that through the Samaritan. In our relationships, generosity in terms of sharing, in terms of giving, sacrificially even, in terms of saying yes when friends ask for assistance or ask to borrow something. That means so much. It helps the relationship go deeper. Let's look at this passage and see how the Samaritan lives out generosity from the love that's in his heart. In verse 34 of Luke 10, it says that he went to that man and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. So the Samaritan, most likely he was a businessman. I mean, that's the most likely explanation for his travel from Jerusalem down to Jericho. But you think about it, he's traveling along, and regardless of the reasoning why, he interrupted his schedule when he saw that man on the side of the road. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes it's tough when I have plans in mind for those plans to get interrupted. I like to just keep following my plan, keep following the agenda, but the Samaritan, he shows a sacrificial generosity because there is a need on the side of the road that he was not expecting, but he stops. And gives time and attention to that man. He allows himself to be interrupted. And he gives of his resources. It says that he used oil and wine to pour on the wounds to help to cleanse them. It says, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So the Samaritan man, he was riding on probably a donkey or a mule. It was 17 miles the road was between Jerusalem and Jericho. So you can imagine this event was taking place probably somewhere in the middle of that, so it was probably still many miles before he got to Jericho. But he not only tended to the man's wounds, but he got off the animal and he walked the rest of the way so the wounded man could ride on the animal. Again, generosity, sacrifice. It says, and the next day, well, actually, and then he actually spent the night with the man in the inn, continuing to, care, to take care of him. It says, then the next day he took out two denarii, which are money. 
and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So we see another form of generosity in this financial outlay. I mean, he's, he's very generous in what he's doing for this man, especially since he's never even met this man before. But you look at this practical generosity, and I have to wonder, where did that generosity come from? I believe it came from a heart that was filled with love. Well, the Samaritan was not expecting payback. He wasn't thinking, oh, I, I hope I'm featured in the news tonight or in the newspaper of uh, people pointing, hey, look at what that good Samaritan did. No. I believe he did this because his heart was filled with love. And when he saw someone in need, that commitment to other people's highest good sprung him into action. And you think about it, if this is how Jesus teaches us to treat someone who's a stranger, how much more are we to treat um, people who are around every single day with expressions of care and generosity and sacrifice and love? So this is an important foundation for healthy relationships. And it shows that love is crucial for healthy relationships. Why? Because love forms a foundation of trust and commitment, goodwill, and growth. It forms this foundation. You think about a foundation in a house. You know, a strong foundation is important for the house because if a house does not have a strong foundation, over time the house is going to begin to crack and crumble. Relationships, to be healthy, need a strong firm, healthy foundation in order to build on through the years because there will be ups and downs in the relationship. And love, this commitment to the highest good of the other person or people in the relationship forms the strongest of foundations for that relationship to weather the ups and downs that inevitably come. I think of my favorite human relationship, which is with my wife, Shelly. About six weeks ago, we were talking about, you know, our, our um, just our, our life together, our marriage. And one of the things that we talked about was motives and how we fully trust each other's motives. And that speaks to that foundation of love because we trust that the other person is committed to our highest good. And that makes a practical difference in our relationship. Because we are still sinful people and there are still times where we say or do something that may be interpreted as rude or just as kind of ignoring the other person or something like that. And so in those times, because we have a foundation of love where we know that each other's motive is not to hurt the other person, but still we may have done something that was a little selfish or just not thinking or we may misinterpret something. But because we have that foundation of love where we know that we are committed to each other's highest good, it helps us give each other the benefit of the doubt and then to be able to talk through whatever the issue is, to work it out, give forgiveness if needed, and then to continue on. That's the foundation of a healthy relationship where we trust each other. But in a relationship, if trust begins to break down, if you begin to question each other's motives, the relationship is bound to crumble or at least struggle quite quickly. So love, this knowledge of a commitment to each other's highest good, is such a firm good, healthy foundation for relationships. And then we can see that they really that should be a foundation of relationships everywhere. Even in the workplace. I mean, I know that workplaces have a reputation at times for being kind of toxic in terms of relationships or being competitive or, or the, you know, those in management don't care for those who are working down below them. But that's not the way it should be. 
Yes, we live in a sinful world where people do act selfishly and just according to their own interests. But ideally, even in the workplace, you can have love that is characterizing the relationships, even among managers and those below them or, or across the board, as people are truly caring for each other's highest good. And people are acting and, and speaking in such a way that builds people up rather than ignores them or tears them down. So we really can enjoy healthy relationships in all parts of life. It's not easy, but it's possible as we prioritize a heart of love. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others better than yourselves, looking not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You think about it, if you live out that mentality that's based on love, this commitment to the other people's good, then it will look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's the foundation of healthy relationships. Or I think as well of Ephesians 4.29, which is talking about our words. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I mean, it struck me as I thought about that verse in light of this idea of love. That verse is talking about using words of love, not tearing people down, obviously, but, but instead building people up according to their needs that may benefit those who listen. That is a commitment to other people's highest good. That is love. And when we are living like this, when we're living this, this manner of love, of being committed to other people's highest good, we become a safe person, a person that other people can trust, and that can begin to shape others as well to build healthier and healthier relationships. So this is the ideal. We're laying a foundation in these first couple weeks of the series for what healthy relationships can and ought to look like. But I think it's important now that we remember God in this equation. Because the best, most effective source of love is God. I mean, think about probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So it talks about love, and that love is obviously, it's not a romantic or mushy type of love. That love is very similar to that definition I shared earlier. It's God being committed to the highest good of people and even sacrificing generously toward that end. Or I think of Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, a demonstration of, of, of generosity and sacrifice for our highest good and sending Jesus to pay the penalty we deserve for our sins. In fact, the Bible says that God is love. At the very core of his being, he is love. So he is a foundation who can supernaturally empower us to love others. We have a Sunday morning class here sometimes called Horizontal Jesus, in which Pastor Tony Evans asks, are you a cul-de-sac Christian or are you a conduit Christian? Here's the difference. Tony Evans explains that cul-de-sac Christian is someone who wants God's love to flow into their life. They appreciate God's love, but then they're like a cul-de-sac. The love just kind of stops there. It doesn't flow through them or anywhere else. It just stops. 
But he says a conduit Christian is someone who has God's love flow into their life and then flows through them like a conduit into the lives of the people around them. And that's who God calls us to be, is we are to love our neighbors, ourselves. We are to let God's love flow into us and flow through us into the people around us. In a few minutes, we're going to be closing our service with a song called Reckless Love. And it describes the love of God that we don't earn, that we can't deserve. But he gives that to us freely. And that term reckless can be a little bit confusing sometimes in that song. Because God's love is not an unthinking or dangerous or out-of-control type of love like we typically think of reckless. But what it's referring to is just a radical generosity of God's love. That he's demonstrated especially through Jesus. A radical generosity. In fact, when we look at the Good Samaritan, is that not the type of love that he demonstrated as well? A radical generosity that may have not made sense to the people around him, but it's a radical generosity. And in fact, I think an argument could be made that the Good Samaritan style of love on that road to Jericho is just a picture of God's style of love, this radical generosity, that God wants that love to flow into us and then flow through us in others. And that forms a foundation for healthy relationships. Now, as we're laying this foundation over the last couple of weeks, talking about starting with the heart and about love should characterize all of our relationships, you may have, be having a bunch of things come in your mind, almost like opening a can of worms. Being, maybe you're thinking things like, you know, I really want to be loving, but I have this one person who just drives me crazy. I've been trying to love them really well, but, you know, they're just not loving me back. They don't care about me or anyone else at all. They're just doing their own thing. And that, how do I handle something like that? How do I have a healthy relationship there? Or you may be thinking about past hurts that are so deep. And you're just wondering, what am I supposed to do with those pains from the past? Or someone who's not even seeking forgiveness, right? I just have this conflict or I look around our society and I just see so much animosity and disagreement. How do we view and how do we handle this? Well, these are the topics we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come, starting next week with the topic of how do we disagree well? And I think what a timely topic because our society certainly has lots of disagreements, but I would not say our society is teaching us how to disagree well. But next week, we're going to see from Scripture how do we disagree well? Because there still will be times where there are disagreements, but how do we disagree well? Because that is a key for having healthy relationships with those around us. Jesus taught us to love God as well as loving our neighbor as ourselves. As we let his love flow through us, we enjoy healthy relationships with those around us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are a model of love. I mean, this radical, generous love that we don't earn, can't deserve. But we thank you that you give it to us anyway by your grace and by your mercy. Lord, I pray that each person here in my voice today will receive your grace and mercy into our lives. That we will not be depending on our own good works and our own religious activities to justify us in your sight. But that we will lean into what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. And then as your love enters our life, that it will not stop with us, but it will flow through us in the lives of others. So, Lord, please empower us by your Holy Spirit to love others well. We recognize that in Scripture it says that one of the fruit of the Spirit is love. So, Lord, please empower us to love others well with the same type of love that you've loved us. That is hard. That's actually impossible on our own. 
but we look to you, Lord. Please help us to grow in loving others well and having healthy relationships that ultimately not only bring joy and blessing to us and those around us, but bring honor and glory to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.